Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 131. This interview is with Ted Rubin, social marketing strategist, speaker, and author of the book Return on a Relationship. Ted has a vast array of operational experience, including being the CMO of Elf Cosmetics and Chief Social Media Officer at OpenSky and Collective Bias. Being the most followed CMO on Twitter, Ted certainly walks the talk. In this podcast, we discuss the notion of building relationships in the different spaces in B2B, B2C, and so on. How to scale social and garner employee engagement and participation, as well as improving bugger outreach and influencer marketing. Lots to chew on. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue, and today, piped in from sunny Florida, I hope, Ted, we have Ted Rubin, so Ted, the Ted Rubin. Tell us, Ted, who you are and what is your mindset? Well, I'm Ted Rubin. Uh, people know me uh, throughout the marketing and social media world. It's easy to find out who I am. Just go to Google and um, Google Ted Rubin, and I'll tell you that probably just about the first three pages are me. The only one that isn't me is the 97-year-old Medal of Award winner from World War II. Uh, I assure you that's not. So I talk a lot about relationships I wrote a book called Return on Relationship uh, back in 2013. I just brought out a new book called How to Look People in the Eye Digitally. And my mindset is about how to properly engage um, and get the real value out of all these social platforms rather than simply clicking a button and thinking that connects people and builds friendship. Beautiful. So, Ted, uh, you and I have been been around the block. We both share um, an experience in the beauty world. And I, I was thinking about this before we got online, about the difference of building relationships in B2B, B2B2C, and B2C. And I was wondering if you would elaborate on how you see building relationships being different or not, whether you're in a B2B environment or a direct B2C or B2B2C. What do you, how do you break that down? You know, again, let's say... What I would break it down is that there's two types of relationships that you're building here in the business world. One is personal relationships, me to you, and and human to human. Um, And then you're building relationships of um, business to business or a human to a business, whether it's consumer to B2C, where a consumer and a business are building a relationship, or it's business to business, where businesses are building relationships with businesses. And I think every relationship takes on both of those levels. So, you know, there's the personal level where I'm getting to know you as a person. Now, that, that takes place whether it's business to business or whether it's business to consumer. I think that is the same everywhere. It's something that you have to be comfortable with who you are, talking about yourself. Then there's the business to business or the business to consumer where the business needs to take on, I believe, the face of the person communicating for them, not just the brand itself. So I hear a lot of people that say, well, consumers don't want to be friends with a brand. But but I, I differ with that. I believe consumers do. First of all, I've been around a huge amount of consumers. I've been around a huge amount of bloggers, mom bloggers, a lot of these people that are reaching out to brands. And they get, first of all, they get a tremendous charge when a brand reaches out to them, even when it's just in the name of the brand. So even if it's that Coca-Cola retweeted me or Kraft Cheese retweeted me or somebody that they're talking to. But beyond that, what they really want to do is connect with someone 
at the brand. You know, everyone wants to know a guy. Everyone wants to know, say, I know somebody at. And when you feel like you know someone at a brand, then you feel good about that. You feel like you're connected to them. And it's one of the reasons that I believe um, employee advocacy is so important and why there's so much huge value in that. Uh, and I know that really wasn't the question, and I'm leading it away a little bit. My mind's like a Twitter feed. I tend to go off in different directions. But what I'm trying to say is that even when someone when someone shares something about their company or uh, communicates with somebody, people feel good about that. So employees are so important in that respect that if you really want to build these relationships, then you have to allow your employees to do that. And you need to allow them to do it beyond simply as a representative of the brand. They need to incorporate who they are into that as well. Right. So talk about their personal passions or at least have some of that transpire into it. So the, the, the reason why I bring up that question is this, the notion of scalability. Because when we're talking B2B, we generally have a very specific audience in front of us. We know, we know very well the clients, the types of clients we have. We, we know their addresses very well. When we're in a B2C environment, it's such a huge group that is that not necessarily is tied back into you as you'd like, whereas B2B, they, they need you, you're a supplier, or they're your client. And, and so the, there's this notion of scalability that makes is sort of much more complicated to manage in a B2C environment. Now, absolutely. Look, B2B is obviously easier, easier to manage when it comes to scalability because there's only so many clients. I mean, again, granted companies, large uh, multinationals have a huge amount of clients, but still it's scalable. They have a list. They know who their prospects are. They can, they can track those conversations. On a consumer level, it's a lot harder. But in my opinion, it's not nearly as difficult as companies believe. And there's a few reasons for that. The one, actually, one's a reason. One is a partial solution. So one of the reasons is understanding that most consumers do not actually want to communicate with you. But you can make them feel like they're communicating with you by communicating with others publicly. I call it participating vicariously through the conversations of others. So as you might be aware, and a lot of your audience might be aware or not, the vast majority of people on social channels are what you call lurkers, meaning they don't participate in the conversation. Most of them, you don't even know they're there. There's, and there's a term coming up for it that is not all about this, but partially called black social, which means the social that takes place away from the platforms that you don't even know it's happening, number one. And it's also referring a lot to the social that's happening that you don't know is there because people never liked your page. They never checked in. They never made a comment, but they're reading everything. They're actually consuming the information that you want them to consume. I consider most lurkers very often in some ways more valuable than the participators. Now, it's a symbiotic relationship because you need them both. You need the communicators so the lurkers can see what's being communicated, but you need the lurkers to add scale to it. So, you know, you, unfortunately, all these agencies, because they want to make more money, and agencies strictly work on what you pay them to do, sure. tell brands all the time, you need more commenters, you need more people writing things, you've got to get these people inspired. I, I tend to disagree with that. I think what you need is a very small, tight group of people that communicate often, and then, of course, there's ones that come in and out. And then what you want to do is get involved in that conversation publicly, because then all the people who are visiting your page who you don't even know are there are able to see that conversation, participate, and feel a part of it. It's like a cocktail party. Walk into a big cocktail party, and usually, if it's a few hundred people, you'll see little pockets all around the room of people communicating. And usually there's one person talking, 
and they're surrounded by a group of people. It can be 5, 10, 20 people. Maybe one or two of those other people are engaging with them, but the rest are participating and feeling a part of that, that, that conversation and feeling like a relationship is being built by watching it. So when I see, you know, Ted talking to, to Minta, you know, and, and or, or, or to John or somebody else, and I see questions asked that might be questions I would ask myself, I feel like, hey, if I did that, they'd answer me too. Therefore, this is like I'm a part of that relationship. So that's the one side of it, where I think a lot of it is happening that you don't have to be a necessarily a one-to-one -one part of to build that relationship. And then the other side, as far as the part of the solution, is start empowering your employees. Right. Start giving your employees not only the ability, but tell them you want them on social channels. You don't want to block them during the day. You want them looking for conversations. You want them going in and liking things. You want them making little comments. And by the way, this is not difficult stuff. You're not asking them to write detailed customer service answers. What you're looking to do is to simply like when someone says, hey, I made a Kraft mac and cheese last night, and it was awesome. And maybe make a mark go, oh, my God, I love that, too. Little kinds of human comments that people can make that make your consumers feel connected and welcome. And I can't tell you how many brands are overlooking this in the simplest way. Mm, totally I mean, agree I, with you. I mean, at the same time, you know, there's this notion of fear, whether it's in the hierarchy or in the employee ranks. So if you if you... Have you have you had this experience of actually taking a brand through this employee engagement and participation and and through the barrier of uh oh what what if I screw up uh oh I I don't want to share my my personal family life you know all these types of barriers that come up I, I have tried um, so I've only been able to do it at places that I was actually employed at. Mm -hmm. So at, at Elf Cosmetics, at Open Sky, Collective Bias, because these are places where I was the C-level guy saying, this is how we had to do it. And don't think I didn't have battles then with the CFO, with the CEO, with others in the organization. Said, the legal or, or person. Even, or, the legal or person. Even, yeah, legal and even lower level employees who would say, oh my God, you can't do that. That's not appropriate. And, and, and what about if someone says something? But let me explain to you how incredibly simple this is. And I understand the barriers that exist over fear. Now, there's two sides of fear. There's the fear from the company about what their employees might do. And then there's actually the more debilitating fear from the employees who are worried about if they do it wrong, they'll get in trouble. Right. And, and to me, that, 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 that's more debilitating because I can walk into a C-suite and you give me enough time um, and, and enough face-to-face and, enough -face and enough connection, I can convince them that this is a good idea. But then to get them to make sure that their employee base doesn't feel the threat threatened by making mistakes and doing things. But then take it a step further. Make it so simple. For instance, let me give you a real simple scenario. And everybody out there, if you're listening to this or you know me, you know that I'm a big supporter of JetBlue. Um, I'm an advocate for them. I believe what, and I say advocate, they don't, they don't pay me to be an advocate right. for them. I am because I like what they do. I watch what they do. I've interacted and engaged with them. And they do a remarkable job in, on Twitter. I mean, in general, their social is great. Yeah. They interact, they engage, they answer every tweet. They've built their brand and, 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 and the connection to their company via Twitter. But go to Facebook and they never respond to anything. Now, I, I see this in so many brands. For some reason, they've decided Twitter is the place where they can communicate, but Facebook is still the place they're going to advertise.
Mm-hmm. And, and I have to tell you that Facebook is actually a lot better place to have real conversations, but it's also a very easy place to make people feel rewarded. So I tell brands all the time, just send someone to your Facebook page every day and to, and to look for when people mention you or tag you and just click the like button. It's as simple as that. I mean, that doesn't take a lot of freaking training. No. I, get, because when I go and I tag JetBlue or I tag Coca-Cola or I tag somebody and I say, great experience. And I'm not, I'm not even going into the bad stuff, but most of these people are writing them, tagging them, saying it was fun, saying it was great. I mean, look at the Super Bowl. These brands spent a fortune yesterday mm-hmm. on the Super Bowl. And if you go to their Facebook pages where people simply said nice comments and tag them, nobody's going to those pages of the, they're only going to their own page. They're not going to the pages of the followers and just clicking the like button, like thank you for mentioning me. So, like you don't even have to say those words. Right, but you're in, in, in the environments you and I have operated in, in the, well, you know, when you are the, the boss, it's certainly a lot easier to, to do it, especially if you understand it. And you evangelize, and you, you even have your battles to, to cross. But I, I think of a couple of things. The first is getting employees engaged in an environment where they don't necessarily believe in the brand. In other words, so, you know, as much as it's easy to say, oh, you dislike the page, but isn't, you know, sometimes if I look upstream, the first challenge I see is do they actually believe in the company they're working for at a deeper level than just, you know, they pay my check at the end of the month? The second challenge I, I see when we talk about this kind of employee engagement and social amplification via the employee force is the role that the, the, the head officer, the you know, CEO generally, plays in demonstrating and modeling the behavior that they want to see happen throughout the organization. How do you react? Um, no, uh, first of all, I think the point you just made at the end was so critical that, you know, first of all, the top level people can obviously have a lot more leeway to do what they want. And if they do and they lead the way and they become social. So there's a few like Cheryl Atkins Green from, from Mary Kay is very actively social herself. Sarah McAloon from CC's Pizza, who was formerly Sabaros, ha- has become um, pretty active. Uh, Paige O'Neill from SDL Software. So when you lead like that and you show your teams that you're willing to do it, that's one thing. Then there's the side of, look, there's, there's some great employee advocacy platforms out there. Now, full disclosure, I'm on the board of a company called Dynamic Signal. Now, I, I researched all of them because I'm very, as you know, engaged in the space. Mm-hmm. And I was being asked to be on advisory boards. And I chose Dynamic Signal because, first of all, I love the team. And more importantly, I think they have the best platform by far. And they put the most money into technology versus marketing and sales Mm -hmm. and they were willing to wait on the sales but what they provide and one of the reasons they wanted me to join them was not just because I talk a lot about it and I could be a good advocate but because what they provide is an amazing platform that allows a brand to okay and give out content to their employees that their employees now know is approved so that they feel comfortable sharing it. So there's the one side that they're giving them pre-approved content to share. There's the other side that they're that part of it is they they can be rewarding them for it. It can be whether monetary, it can be just being on a leaderboard, it can be just letting them know that they're participating, and they're giving them good content to share for themselves to build their own brand. And I tell all these companies, don't just share on these platforms stuff about your company. Share things that are relevant to your employees. Mm-hmm. That's really important. But one of the reasons they want to be involved with them is I push brands to not say to employees, we just need you to share this stuff. Do for them without any expectation of them doing it for you. So get your employees together and go, listen, 
We think it's really important for all of you guys to build your personal brands. We think it's really important for each of you guys to build your influence. Therefore, we think it's really important for you guys to utilize and leverage these amazing social platforms that are out there. So there's a few things we want to do for you in that respect. Number one is we want to lower the barrier to entry by telling you you're free to be on social channels when you're at our office. We're not going to block you. Mm -hmm. We're not going to look over your shoulder. We're not going to worry about it. Number two is we're going to train you on how to properly use those social channels. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you might say, hey, I don't understand Twitter, or I don't know the best way to leverage Instagram or Facebook. We're going to bring in experts in the field to help train you in that respect. And then we're also going to help you because one of the biggest complaints I hear from employees, besides the fear factor, is I don't have time to build my personal brand. I don't know good content to share. I've got, I've got my job. I've got my after-work activities. I've got my kids. Well, guess what? We're going to also provide you with content that isn't just about our business. It isn't just about IBM. It isn't just about Accenture. It isn't just about Coca-Cola. It's about things that are interesting to you. It's about travel. It's about education. It's about things that are important to our employees that you can then feel comfortable that someone has vetted this content. And if you share it, you will enhance your brand. And guess what? There's no requirements. We're not expecting you to do anything for us for this. There's a few things that will happen here. First of all, the employees will go, really? That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Then they'll test it out and see. And then, just like when your mom and dad push you to do something and you push back, but when they don't, you find yourself doing it anyway <laughs> when you know it's something good. I mean, I remember the days when I was, you know, I grew up in the 70s and I had long hair. And I, I, and I would go and make a barbershop appointment because I knew my hair was too long. And before I told my dad that I had made a barbershop appointment, we'd be at dinner and he'd go, get your damn haircut. And I'd turn around and cancel that barbershop appointment. <laughs> because I felt compelled to do it. But right. when he let me do it on my own, and if you let employees and you show them that you're going to support them and you don't even come in, but what you do is you lay it out there for them. Here's some great content you can share about us. If you'd like to, great. If you don't want to, great. I guarantee you they will feel compelled to share it. Going back to the, the Mary Kay uh, CEO, Cheryl, I think you said her name was? Cheryl Atkins Green. Can you tell us how... Was it, was it with you or, or how she actually became social and why she decided to become social? You know, I think you're going to have to ask that question directly to Cheryl. I can tell you from my experience, once I met Cheryl, she was already on the platforms. Um, uh, I'm not, I, I think she's gotten a lot more um, active since we met, but a lot of that could be because social has become a lot more acceptable over the last few years since we met. But she also reached out to me. We, we've had a lot of lunches and dinners together. Um, she's asked me questions. She follows everything that I post. She retweets it. She engages. And I think that in general, she, it, 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 she, she watches people who have had success with it, and she emulates it. And then she takes a leadership role herself because she's seen value in it. She has divisions all over the world. Um, Mary Kay, you know, sells in South America, in China, all over Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and I think she's just garnered a lot of value and she's seen the relationship she's built and she's seen the way it's humanized her brand. And she's in a business that, you know, Mary Kay is a legacy business that's been around for many, many years. They've been evolving. Cheryl's been the CMO there for seven years. She, she's been steadily guiding a, a, a Titanic of a ship. And, and I, I shouldn't use the word Titanic because that sounds like it's going for a crash. But I, I meant that in the large sense. Let's say the Queen Mary. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that you can't just turn the wheel and the, sh and, the, and, the, and the boat shifts. So she's been gradually working on making changes and recognizing that if she does it herself, and in a leadership role, she is demonstrating what should be done and how people and, and and being a true leader rather than just a director. So, cool. 
You know, I'm, you know, I'm a big proponent of finding reasons and, and ways for the CEO to get it. And, and just, you know, somehow it's all about finding the, the internal motivation, whether it's, you know, how to follow more sailing because my personal passion, how to stay in touch with my children, and ultimately, of course, hopefully listening to customers, engaging with uh, experts, learning more about what I need to learn in order to drive the business. But you know that that's ultimately what we want them to do. But and the way any way in is fine, and I uh, so I, I love to hear about someone who's actually you know successfully engaged. What you know, and then and yeah. then there's another side of what you don't see, but someone can tell you they're doing. And this is really simple. Any CEO, they don't have to be active on social. And I got to tell you, most of the ones I know aren't. But the ones that are are, are engaged themselves are reading other people's materials. I mean, the smartest people are not waiting for people to come to their page, but they're going to other people's pages. And I try to explain this to brands all the time. I hear agencies and, 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 and high-level marketers at the, at the brand saying, oh, my God, we have to get more people to our page. And I go, no, you don't. Don't worry about the Facebook algorithms. First of all, if you deliver value, people will come. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about it. The way it was being delivered into their feed was nothing more than advertising. It wasn't true engagement. But more importantly, you should be going to their pages yeah. and seeing what they're talking about. Totally. And nobody's doing that. Yeah. Nobody is doing that. Except using, you know, like a software where it gives you sentiment or it tells you what words are being mentioned. But how about just clicking on the pages of your fans and followers? And, I mean, they're, they're inviting you into their living room, for God's sake. And 99.9% .9 of the brands are not going there. That's so true. You know, and we have this um, challenge or this efficiency drive, which is to be more efficient and, and especially in the more B2C environments, they're programmed to be that way. Uh, what I wanted to take you into, Ted, was talking about dealing with influencers and blogger outreach. And so, of course, there's building relationships with them. And I was wondering what kinds of insights uh, you could provide in, in trying to, uh, as a brand, how do you do better blogger outreach? Do you need to have some agency helping you in between especially if you're a big brand, on, on knowing how to, to talk with these people in a, in a way that makes sense and resonates with them. Because without, you know, if you come in with your corporate shtick, you can end up feeling, you know, distancing yourself very quickly from them. What, what, how, how do you look at, what are some good insights and tips in building blogger outreach and working with influencers? Well, here's the real, here's the real best tip. Actually build relationships, meaning don't just reach out to them when you need something. So who are your best friends? Are your best friends the ones that call you only when they need you to babysit their kid or to watch their house or to pick them up somewhere because they're stuck? No. The people that do that for you all the time are the ones that know that you call them periodically to know how they're doing, that you're interested in their lives, that whether it's on a social channel or on a, or on a telephone, which, by the way, is a social platform, mm -hmm. believe it or not, although most people have forgotten that you can actually hear people's voices. Um... It, it, it's that's how you truly build relationships. The problem is that I would say 98%, maybe a little less, maybe 90% of the brands, and also, more importantly, the agencies are making, is they only reach out to influencers and bloggers when they need them. Right. And then in between, what they'll find is a lot of these influencers and bloggers, and the reason that they're good at what they do is they build relationships around the clock. They reach back to them in between, and they get dead air. 
So I've worked with a lot of agencies, a lot of brands. They need 50 bloggers to write a post or to talk about a new product that's being introduced. And they ask me for introductions, and I, I get involved, and I'm introducing the people. And then within a week or two, I'm getting emails from the bloggers or influencers or, or, or the people saying, you know, I've emailed them 10 times and nobody's answered me. Right. And, and I recognize immediately that the campaign is over. And either the and and this happens all the time with with agencies, and it's why agencies have such difficulty building relationships with influencer bloggers because the minute they're not getting paid, they start ignoring you. I mean, they're no different than lawyers. If you're not getting an hourly fee, don't be on the phone. And no matter what happens within that agency, where they say we really need relationships with with influencers, what happens is the the people that are building those relationships start start per, turning in their timesheets, and their boss says, hey. There's not enough hours here. Well, I was talking to so-and-so. Wasting and my time. And, and the bloggers. And they say, yeah, but we're not getting paid for that anymore. Who are you billing it to? Well, we can't bill it to anybody. Coke ended their campaign. Well, then stop talking to them. And then the same thing happens within the brands. And with the brands, it's less about billing because that's not the way they're compensated. But it's more about, I don't have time to focus on that. Or it's about the branded uh, um, marketing people not understanding that if they truly build relationships with these people, that they're not just paying them to do something. I mean, true advocacy isn't paid for. Bloggers and influencers, you don't buy their advocacy. What you buy is their, 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 their influence, their expertise, and their hard work. And if they're doing it right and they're going to build longevity, then they're only advocating for brands that they actually believe in or they like. Now, this is different from celebrities who are being paid sure. just to be the face of a brand. And that's right. a whole different thing. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of people do, do not really connect with or buy products because of certain celebrities. I sure. mean, tell me what woman actually believes she's going to look like Andy McDowell if she buys L'Oreal. I mean, there was a time when they did, but not anymore. I so agree. You know, and I'm not saying Andy McDowell doesn't bring value to the brand. Right. She certainly does, but it's more of an advertising value. It's sure. not a advocacy value. Yeah, it seems that in China, uh, celebrity endorsement remains powerful, but in the more advanced marketing, it's just over. I mean, it's almost, I, I remember times in my former life where it was almost an opportunity for the CEO to get to hang with Andy McDowell, as opposed right. to, you know, any stronger value-based decision that Andy McDowell would have because she actually really believes that this is the best and whatever she says it's personally true not just because she's paid to say it right and, so, and it's, look it's, it's one of the reasons why some of the celebrities who are actually authentic and and again I don't mean that their initial reaction they were brought to a brand because a brand wanted to pay them but they start really using the product so I was just recently hosted an event and we had Shaquille O'Neal um, came in to speak, and, and I was incredibly impressed with him. The way he engaged the audience, the way he embraced the audience, mm -hmm. and included them in what he talked about. But he told this great story about Icy Hot, which he's been representing for years, about the first time he used it for a game, and how he put it, and he's like, he's looking at the audience, he goes, don't put the stuff high up on your thighs. I'm telling you, that's how good it is. I have to leave the game. <laughs> right, right. Because, but but you know this was something where it's where it's it's actually used, but that makes it more like an influencer or an advocate. So I just think that what brands have to learn is they can't turn it on and off. Yes, they can turn it on and off when they're paying them or what they're engaging them for. But in between, the best relationships and the true influencers and bloggers who will support a brand is when someone's paying attention to them all the time, for good or for bad. Totally. The 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 other word that 
I think is, is so valuable in, in all this is about creating trust. And where I tend to focus my conversation is creating trust between you, the employer, and your employees first, before you even start to try to create trust with your customers. How do you riff on that? Well, a hundred percent, and a lot of that goes toward being authentic, to letting, you know, I talk a lot about um, um, changing the creative mindset in companies to one that works, and in order to do that, you have to get people thinking more like kids who aren't afraid to say what they think, and in so many companies, I mean, so many, you know, go into brainstorming sessions, the same two people give their ideas, everybody else sits there, because they're worried, and it goes to the, to a lot of it, to the employer-employee relationship, mm -hmm. they're worried about their job, they're worried about being made fun of, they're worried about either making their boss look bad, or making their boss look like their boss, either not liking their ideas, or their boss thinking their ideas are too good. I mean, there's so many people that are not af uh, that are afraid to speak. So I think internally is the place it has to start in, because that's what builds true authentic authenticity. And you know, a lot of people feel the word authenticity is being overused and it's become a yeah. buzzword, and it has because it's it, it's not real if it's just a word you're using, mm -hmm. and you're not actually allowing people to be that way. You know, th then you're diminishing the return. It's like that can come that can you, come from that. If you have to say you're authentic, then gosh, good luck. No, exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, and, and what I think me. you have to do is you have to say to people, we're willing to let you prove it here. Beautiful. So, um, Ted, uh, just to finish off, what, um, what I thought was such someone of such charisma and uh, such a presence, I was wondering if you'd share with us maybe one or two people who you, or, you know, uh, counts that you tend to follow, that you, you uh, respect and admire and give you some insights and inspiration as you go about your daily life, keeping you that all that energy I, I hear always through your voice. Well, I love Brian Kramer. Um, his Twitter handle is at Brian Kramer. Um, he uh, runs the agency called Pure Matter, and he also speaks uh, internationally. Uh, I love Brian. He, um, he wrote the book Human to Human. The hashtag is H2H. And the great thing was that that happened at a conference that I was hosting, he was speaking at, he put a slide up on, on and this is how quick things can happen in today's world, mm -hmm. is he put a slide up on the screen that said, there is no more B2B or B2C, there's only H2H. Mm -hmm. Human to human. And he, then he, you know, he spoke a little bit about it, moved on to the next slide, and I said, wait, wait, go back to that slide. I want to take a picture. <laughs> I love that slide. And I made him back up the slide, and then, of course, because I did that, he kind of did a ta-da kind of moment in front of the side. Mm -hmm. I took the picture. I shared it via social. It got 80 million impressions within a couple of days. Mm, and Brian knew he was onto something. Mm. And he, he, brought out, he brought out the book 60 days later. And, and it was a short form book, about 80 pages. And, you know, look, this is a lot how return on relationship happened. A lot of the things I talk about, look people in the eye digitally. I tweet these things. I put these things out. And then when people respond to them and I see the response, th th then I go further. So I love Brian. I love his whole human approach. Um, Brian works with a lot of um, technology brands, um, Pitney Bowes, IBM. Um, it, it's... Um, 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 uh, uh, and a few others. Um, and... But he brings a very human side to them. So that's number Sweet. one. Um, I love Tamara McCleary. Mm -hmm. um, T-A-M-A-R-A-M-C, capital C-L-E-A-R-Y. Yep. Tamara is a speaker. She is a personality. She is just a wonderful 
a, a beautiful woman, and I say that uh, she is attractive mm -hmm. on the outside, but I think most of her beauty comes from within. Mm, um, and and she writes a lot of inspiring mm -hmm. content. Um, she so knows how to connect with people and engage. Um, so I, I, I really like her. And then um, there's a woman named Kim Garst. Um, I just wrote a quote for her book. And I just think that Kim is more on the execution side of things. Mm -hmm. You know, how to do social, how to properly engage. She helps. And what I love about her is that the majority of her clients are small businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, she does it at scale through webinars and sessions and writing. And I know what I love most about her is not necessarily her herself, although she's a wonderful woman, is what I hear about her from all these small business people. <laughs> well, isn't that, isn't that the sweetest thing, the word of mouth? So it looks that, like i got three people i got to invite to my podcast sometime. Absolutely. All right, so Ted, uh, I mean, it sort of goes without saying, but the best way to connect with you is? Is at Ted Rubin on Twitter, um, Ted Rubin on Facebook. I'm Ted Rubin everywhere except YouTube. It's Ted Rubin USA, and that gets into the whole Google YouTube thing uh -huh. uh, about what you can and can't do with your email handles. Um, also, I'm Ted Rubin at gmail.com, and my phone number is 516-270-5511. I love giving it out because everybody talks about the fact I give it out, but then nobody calls me. Crazy, isn't it? So, except a few people that really do want to connect, and I value those. Sweet. Ted, beautiful. Thanks for coming on. Now you can get back to a normal life. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Well, I'm looking forward and I'm really hoping that we can meet face to face sometime soon. Beautiful. Thanks a lot, Ted. Looking forward to Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's painted fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self secure.
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.